that was like my highlight. It was awesome. And these songs, they just have so much power. And I was reminded this week of uh, someone that watches online and they have a daughter who's 11 or 12 years old and um, they ask for prayer. Uh, she has started to cut again and there's uh, a lot of depression taking place in this young child. And I just said that we would certainly be praying for this family. There's also one that uh, I just, a friend, he sent a text on Thursday and he said, my wife left me. Um, can you be praying? Cause I don't know what to do. I'm hanging on by a thread. I have been sober for 12 years, but right now it seems like a good time to neglect that sobriety. And I said, we would certainly be praying. It's awesome to have Todd here. And Todd, if you'll allow us, I'd like to anoint you with oil too, as you prepare for surgery. And we just want to pray for you as well. And there's others that our hearts are heavy. There seems to be so many requests and so many burdens. And it just seems like, okay, I just want to pray for me to have fun today and the sun to come out. I don't want to like bear one another's burdens to the point that you are exhausted because well, God calls us to intercede on behalf of others and even fast that they might hear and answer God. So maybe that's what God is leading us to. Maybe that's the liminal space that we are in, that we need to pray and fast for one another that are so broken, that are just hurting, that we would just lift them up. Yes, and so uh, if you know David and Diane, typically they sit right here on the left, my left, your right, just be praying for them because it seems as though there's so much suffering and you feel like, hey, I'm getting close to God and now I'm suffering. And something about that birthing process of the pain has to take place before the victory and the excitement can be uh, be united in, in our voices. And so we just want to uh, pray. But I'm going to ask, uh, Todd, if you wouldn't mind coming up and those that would like to lay hands and pray for Todd. Uh, we're just going to do that. And Colleen, certainly you can join your husband up here. And if there's any others, we just want to pray um, for you. So we use oil. It's called anointing oil. It's not like massage oil or cooking oil, but it's just oil that represents the Holy Spirit. And what we're praying is that this oil represents the Holy Spirit and his power on you and his strength for you and his goodness to you. But Jesus, we just lift up Todd today. We thank you for his life and his testimony, for how you have rescued him again and again, and for his family, how you've given him straight, great strength and wisdom to lead them and help them. But Father, right now we pray for his heart. We pray for the doctors and the surgeons. We pray for the the decisions that need to be made. We pray, God, that you would be merciful, but, Father, that full healing and complete healing would be restored to Todd, that you would touch Colleen as well, that you would give her strength with everything that she's been dealing with and going through. We lift up her brother, Todd, as well. And, Jesus, we just ask that you would be merciful. But, Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your presence is strong, that you are here, that you desire us for us to live in victory and through your experience. But, Jesus... We come praying for Todd, that as they prepare for surgery, as they have surgery, as they recover, that you would be with them every step of the way and your goodness would be on their lips, that they would be quick to speak the name of Jesus and your salvation would reach many. So, Father, we thank you that we can pray with Todd and the family today. 
We lift up the other requests that we bear. We think of those that have lost loved ones, for those that are enduring pain and not knowing why someone is so depressed or thinking about suicide or cutting or or why a spouse would leave or understanding that you're worth holding on to. But Jesus, here we are clinging to you and asking that our brothers and sisters in faith would join us in holding us up, interceding on our behalf. We thank you that you hear our prayers. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, there's something about praying that is just very important to do, and it's kind of a given, but at times we rarely pray with one another. Like we pray for, but sometimes we need to pray with, so make that time to pray with. As we continue, we thank you for your online giving. We thank you for those that are giving here in person or mail checks to the chapel campus. It certainly is a blessing to us. For those that are unaware of the Wesleyan denomination, which is probably most of us, the Wesleyan church calendar begins in May and goes through April. So we're eyeing the end of the church calendar year. We look financially to be in a very good place. We're looking directionally on what this is going to mean for the future, but we just thank you for uh, being a part and something about giving and serving. It feels like you're engaged. So church should be a lot more than attendance. It should be engagements. So we thank you for those that are engaging in life groups and small groups and giving and tithes and offerings. We return to Acts verse 39. When they, this is the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip never saw him again, but he was proud. He was excited that God put him in a position, in a place to see this Ethiopian come to faith in Jesus and to be baptized. It wasn't about Philip. It wasn't about all the people that could hear this guy's testimony and say, hey, it was him right over there. It was Philip that led me. Philip did not need to hear those compliments because he knew that God had called him to a deeper purpose for that moment, but for that moment beyond. It was a life-changing Jesus that changed this Ethiopian's life. So after, Philip found himself farther north <clears throat> at a town of Azotus. He preached the good news, the gospel, the Unigalion there, and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. This is what Philip was called to do. It gets a little complicated or complex. I would say there's a difference between complicated and complex. I won't go into the whole story, but it was interesting how Bethany's brother came out this weekend with a couple friends, and it was Saturday night that we were having a discussion. One of them is a medical professional. The other is an engineer, and they started to talk about how to fix the healthcare system here in the United States. And so I thought I'd chime in because I wanted to sound like I'm as smart as a doctor or an engineer, which I'm not. Bethany started to fall asleep in the corner. And Bethany's brother was just kind of like looking starry-eyed of like, when can we go to bed? But we got to the point where this is a complex situation. It's not just complicated, but it's extremely complex. When I went to Bible college, 18 years old, from 93 to 97, I was so excited because teach people that Jesus loves them and they can love him too. All you have to do is open the Bible, see how Jesus loves you, and we have the opportunity to join him and love him back. And then things got complicated. I don't know if there's any mathematicians here, but like you have one plus one. It's like, oh, that equals 
too. Very good. We have a couple of mathematicians. But then you have like a one, then you have the parentheses, then you have a number, then you have this symbol, then you have like this little symbol up next to this number, and that gets a little complicated. And I could almost figure those things out because those calculators were pretty good. At like at least if they're numbers, I could figure it out. But then it got complex where you had, I tried to put this on a slide, but I couldn't type out what I was trying to say because it, then they started using letters. Who uses letters in math? Like math is numbers. It's not letters. And now you're trying to find what a letter is to represent a number. And that's complex. But that is the Christian life that gets pretty complex where it is, Jesus, you love me. I give my life to you. I love you. But then we start to walk this life and it gets complex. You have people from a local church coming to you and saying, my child is questioning their identity. What should I do? You have people that call you in the middle of the night and saying, I'm going through this tremendous uh, emotional and anxious moment. Like, can you stop what you're doing? It's like, I'm just sleeping, so I guess I'm available. Can you stop what you're doing and make time for me? It gets incredibly complex. And this is what God is telling us, that he is with us for the complexity, not so we're scared off by it. But sometimes you're like, I just want to tell people about Jesus. Well, tell them about Jesus, but then be prepared that God might lead us through the valley of the shadow of death with them. People respond to love. This is what our former district superintendent told us. People respond to love. That is true. That is great. But people respond to love. And then once they respond, are you willing to walk with them with love, by love, through the valley of the shadow of death? Meanwhile, this is Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. This is Saul, who if you remember from a few uh, weeks ago, we talked about Stephen. Stephen was stoned for following Jesus. And where did they put their coats? They had to take off their jackets. So they had full range of motion so they could throw these stones, hurl these stones into the pit and kill Saul. So when they took off their jackets, they put them at the feet of Saul, because Saul was the most educated. He was a, one of the highest officials. He was one of the most respected people, and he was overseeing the death of Stephen, saying, hey, this is a good, it's a good thing what you're doing. So Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. This is something I did not know. I should have known, but this is why you study before you speak, because you learn different things instead of just speaking. That sometimes synagogues were used not just for religious services, but for gathering places in business meetings. So this is what is taking place here. Saul went to the high priest in the synagogue for, whoops, sorry, for a business meeting to figure out, like, is this a good thing to do? So Saul went to a church building to see if it was a good thing to kill followers of Jesus. Saul went to a church building. So I was thinking of Matthew. Jesus told them this, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Let's, let's read this again in the context of understanding. Saul went to a church building to have a meeting if it was good to kill followers of Jesus. 
So Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will claim in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't, you didn't say that out loud, but don't, but don't, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Also in Revelation, it talks about uh, pestilence and war and famine, and we are living in these days, I don't know if they're the end days, but I know every day we're closer to the end days than we were yesterday. And so when you hear wars and rumors of war, you hear that Saul was going to church people to say, is it okay to persecute, to kill, to arrest these followers of Jesus? This is nothing new, but Luke is telling us a story that we need to understand. Did you hear the news? When I was a director of mentoring, I'd go into the school. It was for uh, fifth through 12th graders. And when they said, hey, did you see the news? It was never, hey, did you see the news? Like, look who made the paper. It's like, did you see the news? Did you read the newspaper? Did you understand that mentee's father was arrested or that individual has something bad going on? It was never positive. Did you hear the news? Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He found there, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So this made me thinking about like when you uh, have a, had a victory, and I don't know why, I think it's only in the Bible, but they talk about spoils of war like spoils of war. That's kind of a weird expression. So I went to the trusted Wikipedia. And so spoils of war or the spoils of war may refer to a warfare concept, prize of war regarded as legitimate, war looting regarded as illegitimate. This is Saul. He wanted to bring them back to have them killed at his own place, not to go and kill them. He wanted people to see his trophy case. He wanted people to see how many people were doing the wrong thing, and he had got them, and he had corralled them, and now he was going to make a spectacle of them and say, like, look, everybody that I went out to reach that was doing the wrong thing. This was what he wanted to do. He wasn't just going to kill them, but he was going to bring them back so those in the synagogue could share in the victory of killing those that followed Jesus. So as he was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heavenly heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So here's a map. I don't know if you can really see it, but here is Caesarea. Who went to Caesarea? He went north until he reached Caesarea. Philip, who went there? Philip. So Philip is here. And then this is Damascus. So this is Jerusalem where uh, Saul started. So he's going up this way. So Acts 1 said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of earth. So you see how uh, Philip started here, then he goes up and he's going more towards where the ends of the earth are. 
but even Saul is going a greater distance. Why is this important? Because Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus, I'm skipping ahead, but I think it's so important that we understand that Jesus had Saul going even beyond Philip so that Saul could be turned into Paul to be used of God even beyond Philip, who was identified by those within the church to do a good thing. Jesus had a plan for those that, this guy that was so outside the church, so beyond what was thought possible by the Christians to go beyond, but Jesus had a plan for them. I had someone, professor in college, I think, or chapel speaker, he said, what if, and I think there were, but what if Christians fasted and prayed for Hitler? Or what if Hitler would have become a Christian in the middle of his tirade? What change do we believe that's possible? I mean, there's the people that we're like, oh, I hope they don't come speak at my school. Or, oh, really? They think they're so important. Or, oh, really? I don't. I mean, God, you could do anything, but their heart's so far from you. God can do anything. So conviction is a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense made by the verdict of a jury or the decision of a judge in a court. Of law. Sometimes in church we just think, oh, conviction. It means when the Holy Spirit convicts you and makes you feel bad. But this is conviction of a different kind. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the conviction of God. This is a conviction saying you are convicted based on what you have done. Now there is a change that I want for you. If we were to share the dirtiest and darkest secrets of our past, the dirty laundry of where we were before we met Jesus, it would be most embarrassing for all of us. But as we look at Saul's experience of conviction, it was to restore him because that is what is so amazing about grace. Grace, the voice of compassion, not condemnation. This is God calling to Saul. Saul, Saul, I know your name. I'm calling you by name because I created you. I have a plan for you. I want you to be a part of my plan. This is a voice of compassion, not conviction or condemnation. It's not God saying, hey, your name, you're doing something wrong. You're bad. Get it together. Come on now. You know, I know your name. Get with the program. It's God's saying our name because he loves us so much that we would be restored to him. We all want grace, but too often we offer judgment. We want grace when it's our name being called, but when it's somebody else, what comes off our lips? What rolls off our tongue? Is it grace to them that we want to receive? Saul received this grace. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Small l. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. 
So a lot of times we talk about Saul, which is important because he came Paul, and then he wrote the majority of the New Testament. So he is a very important person in the Bible, and that's perhaps why he's named. But can you imagine if you're one of his travel companions, that you've maybe been one of the uh, henchmen of this mafia that Saul had, and you had to do the bad things that Saul instructed because he was in charge. And then you heard this voice, but you couldn't see anything. And you saw this this guy you were following. You saw your leader just fall off his horse. And he was just mesmerized and you were mesmerized and you heard a voice, but you couldn't see anybody. And then the conviction came. So Saul picked himself up and uh, off the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to, dis- to, dis- to Damascus. There's several keys in this that I want to point out. Saul was told by God to get up and Saul obeyed God. Perhaps. For the first time in his life, he had actually heard the real voice of God and responded in obedience to the real voice of God, where before he just was based on his education, based on what somebody said, based on his experience, and he just acted what he thought, oh, that's probably what God meant by whatever I read in the Old Testament, whatever Gamaliel, whatever his name was, his uh, professor had told him way back when. But then for maybe the first time he heard God say his voice. So he responded in obedience and he got up. He was blind, so he had to walk by faith and not by sight. He had to walk by faith and not by sight because he just had an encounter with God. He had to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, I'm going to Damascus. I've been there before. I know the way. Well, have you ever been there blind and needing to rely on the faith that you just heard a voice tell you where to go when you're living by faith, not by sight. This is one of the keys that I want us to see. Saul got up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they, who is they? So they led him by hand into Damascus. They. Those that heard a voice but didn't see, those that actually saw uh, Saul go off his horse and they heard this voice, they saw Saul respond in obedience by getting up. This is the they. This book of Acts was written by was written by Luke, who also wrote Luke. So in Luke five, his first book, we find this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Sorry to rush through, but The story seems familiar, and I want to get to the good part. So you can go back, read Luke 5 on your own this afternoon. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So it's interesting if you look at the map, uh, Jerusalem and Judea, Galilee. So some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to see Jesus, but what? But they couldn't get in. Why? Because too many people wanted to see Jesus. But they thought, hey, we brought this friend to see Jesus, but we can't get in. Well, let's go home. Or maybe Chick-fil-A is open because Sabbath is actually a Saturday, not a Sunday. So we'll just go to Chick-fil-A. Or 
but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off the tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. What if we were so crowded and there were just so many people and it would not be because I'm speaking, it would be because the Holy Spirit showed up and he was doing something, something about Asbury Seminary that's taking place now, whether you call it a revival or awakening, God's doing something. And not just the students on campus are just confessing their sin and just crying out to God for forgiveness, but others are now are driving to the campus that they might experience what God is doing. Now, on one hand, you have to drive where this one place. No, because God is everywhere, but you do have to have that same heart. God created me a clean heart. Restore to me the things that I've given up, the things of you that I want you to have. But let's just say, for example, the Holy Spirit was right here doing something amazing, and people just wanted to come to be a part of what Jesus was, was doing, and the, the, the parking lot was full, and people couldn't get in, and they just open the windows, and they press their ear against the window, but they just want to get in, and then all of a sudden, and we see somebody with a hacksaw or a sawzall or whatever you use, maybe a chisel, and they're just banging on the roof. We're like, hey, you're distracting what Jesus is teaching. You're being a distraction. God is trying to do something. Just quiet down and listen. What if we had the hunger so much that we wanted people to hear and feel and experience the truth of God's word made manifest through the presence of the Holy Spirit that we were willing to do whatever to get in to be with Jesus? And then what if we're willing to do whatever to get our friend in to be with Jesus? Well, Jeff, you know, they're kind of bedridden. I don't know if they could make it. I don't, I don't know if they'd really be open to, you know, that Jesus stuff. It's a little bit weird. And maybe not literally, physically, but what if we brought our friends into our prayer closet and we put them on that prayer list and we started to pray and intercede and fast and ask God that he would work a miracle in their lives. That we would ask God that he would just show them his beauty. We would ask God to do something that they would know that they were created for salvation. They were created to know that God loves them, that they were created to be a witness to their friends. They were created to know that their identity is found in Jesus, that their worth is found in who God says you are, that you are a wonderful masterpiece. You are a beautiful creation, that you are loved, that you are worthy because God God created you. What if we brought our friends into our prayer closets? What if we brought our prayers to the church and we continue to fast and intercede for others? We might see what these men see, these nameless men who witnessed Saul's conversion, what they saw. They were obedient. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to them, young man, your sins are forgiven. Who are your friends? How would or how do they lead you in following Jesus? It's been said if you take your five closest friends or the five people you spend the most time with, the five people you spend the most time with, that's who you are. So I used to think I want like a wide range of friends. Like I want my like swearing, bad, uh, evil, non-Christian friends. I want my super spiritual, awesome, godly friends. And then I want the ones in the middle. Then I thought, whoa, where does that leave me? That leaves me not on fire for God. That leaves me like, eh, like you're pretty cool. And yeah, you're pretty cool. But 
it leaves me in the middle. And I'm not saying you forsake your friendships with non-Christians because God wants us to be friends with him, but we need to be drawn to those that push us and pull us closer to Jesus to understand that he's created us for more. He's created us not just to be so depressed, but in our depression, we have this great hope that Jesus is with us and that he's for us. How do your friends lead you to Jesus, to his plan? I don't know which sermon it was that I listened to or that I shared. I probably texted it to you or may have texted this to you. But if you play the piano, I don't think this can be like an electric piano. But if you play the piano and you have another piano next to it, and some of you that are musical, you're going to have to help me out with this. So if you play like the middle C, middle C, right? So it's right in the middle, the middle C. If you play the middle C on one piano and there's nobody at the other piano, you just play the middle C. At the one piano, you understand? You play the middle C at the one piano, there's no one at the other piano. You play the middle C. The other piano, that middle C resonates with the middle C that's being played. So you play the middle C in the other. So maybe you don't play the piano. I don't play the piano, but I want to be around piano players if I did, which you piano players are awesome. I just, I don't, I don't play the piano. I took piano one semester in college. I got an F because she said, you're memorizing the song. You don't know the notes. And I'm like, it's an elective anyway. Like I, I, it's too much time. And she said, well, you get an F. I was like, uh, can I still graduate? She said, yes. It's like, okay, we're on the same page. But if you play a middle C, are you around people that are playing the middle C, but even greater than the middle C, they can play whatever your favorite song on the piano ever is played? Are they playing and you're so close to them that what they're playing just resonates with their heart, their heart for God, their heart for intercession, their knowledge of the Bible is just so strong. It's just uplifting. It's just so uh, uh, all-encompassing that you can't help but be closer to them because you want that same joy that they have to be a part of your life, that same expression of delight that they have. You just want a part of your life, and then you realize that God's created us all to experience Him. So you don't just have to wait on the resonance of somebody else playing, but you too can play that same song of joy that Jesus has given us. And many times we have to learn from someone before we can walk with someone. And then we invest in another. Who are your friends? Who are you close to? The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, his friends. If you woke up blind, or came out of surgery, who would be there waiting to drive you home, to bring you a meal, to encourage you? Would it be the church? Hopefully. Would it be family? Mostly. But we as a church, we are the family. We need to see physical needs and ask God, how can we represent him by showing kindness, by being available? It does disrupt our agenda, what we want to do, what our schedule is for. That's why we need to leave enough margin where it's like, God, you need to come in and you need to instruct and control my day. That if I get a call of somebody in need, if someone says, hey, can you meet with me for breakfast? If they say, can you pray with me right now on the telephone that we say, hey, in a minute, no, we say, yes, Jesus, we need you. We need you. So who are your friends? Who are your friends?
And if you're like, man, I've been longing for a friend like this, then pray that God would send that friend to you. And perhaps God might say, pray for that person that you think is an enemy because I want that friend to be your closest friend. Oh, God, I don't know if that's what I want. So I think I'm just going to be miserable, isolated, mad at the world alone because you want that person? No way. Philip, and we find out later, Ananias had to go to Saul. We might have to go to people and say, hey, you want to know the truth about Jesus? He loves you. And because he loves you, I'm willing to walk with you in his love that we might know him and know him well. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we do ask for your help, and we ask for those that would come alongside of us, whether already in this room or those that you are wanting us to invite to be a part of your goodness. So Jesus, we say thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I just want us to close with this. Maybe I didn't put it in. So won't you stand? We'll close with the Apostles' Creed. This is um, what my mom says. What it all boils down to, what it all boils down to is salvation. We want others to experience the salvation of God and believe this Apostles' Creed. Won't you read aloud with me and read together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. This is what we believe. This is what we must share, that others might join us in this belief. Go in peace and enjoy your Sunday.